Well, as you're aware, today we uh, have the privilege of a guest speaker, and I have the privilege of interviewing this particular gentleman. I use those terms lightly, but I'll ask this gentleman to come forward. This uh, fellow here is a, a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, Russ and I go back about 35 years, uh, and uh, we served. Uh, we had the privilege of serving together in, in my home church back in Hawke's Bay, uh, New Zealand. But uh, outside that, uh, it's a great privilege. Russ has been ministering to the men at men's camp this week, uh, weekend, and we've asked him to, to preach to us today. So, Russ, I just want to you know, tell us a little bit about your family. You know? uh, which fa- oh, yeah, okay, my family. Which your family, is, your yeah, family. My wife over here, Liz, and she's been my wife for um, coming up 45 years on the 25th of this month. is the 45th wedding anniversary. She, she must be an incredibly patient woman. She is, yes, she yeah, is. I can understand. How, how's it going, Liz? The marriage is going <laughs> all right? It's all uh, okay? Yeah, oh. We have two sons, and, um, and they've married two wonderful Christian girls, um, and they all love the Lord, and got, we've got six grandchildren, and, um, and they're an absolute delight. Oh, I hope they stay that way as they go through their teenage years and stuff, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd imagine you'd be a bit of a doting granddad. Um, have you got oh. any sort of... Uh, one highlight or funny story about one of your grandchildren that you... Oh, but you couldn't tell it at church. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's probably true. There's lots of stories. I've got four granddaughters we have and, and two grandsons, and um, the Lord's really blessed us with that because we could only have two children, and uh, I really wanted some daughters, and... Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm a doting granddad, and uh, they just got me around their little finger, and uh, and... I can spoil them because it's the parents that g- got to fix that, you know. So, it's, <laughs> it's oh, so, so is that why you were sort of really interested in Emma and Libby? Oh, you know? yeah, they, they were sort of like great yeah. kids in a way, weren't they? Yeah, they were, and um, and especially now they still treat me like I'm real family. And I think it's when they want something. Um, yeah, so, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're almost like I want your wallet or yeah, I understand. In my pastoral role back home, I know I just I love kids, and um, and when there was a mum that was expecting, we went through this incredible explosion time. There was um, preggy mums everywhere. There was babies all the time, and. And so one of the pastoral roles is to go at least go and, and visit and, and pray with the mum and the dad. And sometimes I was just too keen about it. Sometimes I was at the hospital before the father was, and so that was a problem. So I had to step back a wee bit. And, um... Actually, I, I can tell a story about that, actually, because, because when Emma was born, I, I think um, Julie probably just had that final contraction. And then all of a sudden, Russell just appeared. Yeah. <laughs> he, he knew the birth was taking place. So I rang him and said, mate, uh, our final child's on the way. And, and the baby came out, and I reckon that you almost were the oncologist. Almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, 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 no, what's the... What? Gynecologist. 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 You're almost yeah, there yeah. catching the baby. Yeah. So, you know, he's, the, he's a... All things to all people at yeah, all times. Yeah, that's, a, that's the one. Hey, tell us a little bit about your ministry, mate. What have you been doing for the last 20 or so years? Um, I've been um, ministry and it's probably been over 30 years where the Lord took us off a farm and took us to Bible school and then we were in Christian camping for seven years then we went to seminary in the States and we've been over 20, 20 and a half years or 21 years we've been pastoring um, uh, down Hawke's Bay so um, at the church that Nathan uh, learned to cut his teeth at and 
And so uh, we've been there, but that ministry's finished now. And so we're over here in, the, in, in Australia, in the States, in Australia, what New Zealanders affectionately call out the West Island. Um, so we've got North and South, and Australia is the West Island, they say. Um, I'm finding that that's not how you view it. And that's quite okay, you know. Um, <laughs> And so I'm over here, we're uh, pastoring a church in Sydney for four months or four and a half months while the pastor there goes away and finishes his doctoral studies. He's going over to America to finish. He's been working on it for a lot of years and we're trying to work out a time when I can come and help. I know the church and so we're here until the end of July um, pastoring that church. And so that's a joy for us, something to do and to get out of home church while they settle in and do their thing, you know. Fantastic. Hey, that's wonderful, Russ. I'm just going to pray for you and then I'll Thank you. invite you to open the, God's word to us and uh, teach us. So let's just pray. Uh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace yet again. We uh, thank you for uh, Russell and Liz and for just the impact they've had uh, over many years, many different people uh, throughout New Zealand. And uh, thank you for their ministry and their giftedness. Uh, Lord, we just uh, look forward to hearing from your word today. Uh, guide us by your spirit, we pray. Convict us and encourage us and exhort us. Uh, Father, we, um, we thank you uh, for this opportunity that we have at, uh, to come under the, the ministry of your word. Uh, we just pray a blessing upon it now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Nathan, and thank you, church family. I want to say... We did have a marvellous time, or I had a marvellous time at the men's camp uh, yesterday, and there's a lot of very blessed wives here in this church, if those men came from this church. Uh, I really enjoyed the men, wives, I enjoyed how they interacted uh, with the Word of God and with that heart or passion, you know, we want to do better. And, uh, and that was sort of what I sensed coming through as the men were really open to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God in their lives to be all that God really wants them to be. So I encourage you to help them to make the changes, if there's changes to be made, uh, and encourage your men to stand up and be the leaders and, and the influence in the local church that they really should be, as well as in their families, of course. And so uh, I want to say thank you uh, for allowing uh, me to have that input, but also thank you today. Uh, for the honour or the privilege of bringing the word of God to you today. Um, somebody once said there's no greater privilege or no greater act of worship than to be teaching the word of God. But if that's the case, then I want to say along with that, there's no greater act of worship than to be listening to the word of God with an obedient heart. Uh, that honours Christ, that honours God as well. And so I encourage you uh, in that today as we open the Word of God, and I would love you to open the Word of God at Matthew chapter 26. Um, I really appreciate uh, the songs that our song leader brought to us this morning, uh, Mrs. Weeks, I think I've heard her name, and certainly the songs uh, reflect the message today. And certainly we've already had a focus on what we're going to talk about today. And I think when a worship service comes together like that, that always makes it richer, helps the speaker. Uh, and so I'm appreciative uh, very much of that. So while you're turning there and you've got your finger in Matthew chapter 26, and we will be reading from verse 26, but I want to spend a little bit of time getting there um, first. There was a number of years ago that 
uh, Lizzie and I and the family and some friends, we went to the Grand Canyon and there's probably many of you here that have been to the Grand Canyon and we went to that with some excitement and enthusiasm. We were going to have a look at one of the wonders of the world and, and you arrive, arrive on this plateau and you park your car and then you walk to the edge of, the, of, the, of this canyon and it's, you're high on this plateau area and you're not really seen, you don't really see the Grand Canyon until you get there and so you walk we walked hastily to the edge and a little bit nervous because you could see the ground sort of opening up in front of you but when you stand and you can look right and you can see right down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon I still distinctly remember my reaction I had never seen anything like that and I couldn't look at it I had to shut my eyes I took a step back and just had to contemplate what I thought such was the grandeur. And then I would take a step, I would look again, and I closed my eyes again. I couldn't take it all in at once. Never had I seen anything like that, so grand, so glorious. And I know my heart lifted in worship to God, the almighty creator God, that could create something like that and just all of a sudden display it to you. Uh, the wonder... And greatness of that was incredible. Such was it that I couldn't just look at it and just take it in as a normal glance. I had to gradually get there so that I could then stand and just gaze and wonder. Such was the beauty of it. Now, I'm not here to sell a trip to the Grand Canyon. I'm really not. But I want to I use that to, to say that it's not just the creatorial glory of God that makes us sit back. Whoa, it's too much to take in. It's not just that. Sometimes God's divine activity in our lives bring the same response from us where we step back. It's too much. And there's things that we struggle in, and there's trials that come to our lives. And I know that the church, a church always going through trials. There's people that are going through trials. I know there's trials of deep, or deep trials that this church is even going through at present with hurting folk, agony of heart that people are facing. And when we come to those times, we recoil, we can't take it in, we step back, we gasp, because it's just too much uh, to take in. We, the trials are too great in past times, we know that we've got to lock them away in our minds. And even though that we know that God is sovereign over those times and he's orchestrated that, he's allowed those times to come into our life, we still lock them away and we don't like to visit in our thoughts and our minds because such was the pain and such was the agony of the trial and yet God was deeply involved in all of that. So we have those Grand Canyon times in our life and it might be that you're even going through that at present. It might be that you're past that and you're through the other side. We know you can objectively look and look and see what God has done in your life uh, through that trial. And it can be perhaps you have lost a loved one. Might be that you're losing a loved one. Might be a health issue, your own health issue that's making you gasp and to struggle with God's divine activity in your life and it's just about too much for you. Perhaps a close friend has betrayed you. There's lots of things that can bring those trials or circumstances to our life. Perhaps a spouse has divorced you. 
might be that you're facing financial difficulties, a loss of a job. Perhaps it could even be your own fault, sinful failures in your life, and now all of a sudden there's repercussions in your life, and God has brought your sin out into the open where all of a sudden now you've got to deal with it, and others even know about it, and the agony is great. And in those times you cry out, God, why me? What are you teaching me, Lord? Lord, is there another way to achieve what you're wanting to achieve in this? Why does it have to be like this, and and when will the agony end? And I know that depression can set in, and your will becomes very dark. Friends don't seem to understand And you feel so much alone, even though your friends might be around you, you're so much alone in times like that. And there doesn't seem to be really any hope. And it's like you live your life on the night shift. You're alone, stark. The lights aren't on. In fact, the power's out on the night shift. It can be so dark for you. And you cry out, Lord, is is there another way? Does it have to be like this? And when you're in such a position... You're inclined to think that nobody really understands. Nobody's been where you've been, you think. And yet, there's many, many people who have experienced the same darkness, the same loss, the same agony, the same trial, the same Grand Canyon experience of trial and agony in their their lives. I remember three years ago, I was lying on my office floor in deep agony the darkest place I'd ever been in. And I was crying out to God with the very same things that I've talked to you about today. I asked all those same questions. I was hurting with deep betrayal at ministry level from fellow workers. And and the Lord was yet preparing me for even darker days still. It was deep agony of soul. It was the darkest time, and I'm lying there on the floor. Nobody knows, other than my wife. And then there's a knock on my office door. A friend walks in. So what are you doing here, Russ? I noticed on Sunday you weren't yourself. I'm coming to see what's wrong. Oh, they're great friends. In the space of 30 minutes, three friends with no contact of each other came into my office. They knew something was wrong, and they came to minister to me. And those three friends had been in deep agony of soul themselves in previous years, and I've endeavored to walk with them in those times. And so I pour my heart out, and they say, that's all right, Russ, we we live in this place. This is where we live. Let's show you around. And they shone the torch of the comfort that God had brought to them in their life and shone it round in the place where I was at the time and made it brilliant because Christ was there. It was a wonderful time. I wouldn't trade those times for anything because you only experience Christ in that way at those times. And I want to encourage you, encourage you this morning with the Lord's experience, because you see, he asks similar questions. He's certainly one of the questions he asked that we ask. 
He's been through that. He asked his father in his deepest trial and deepest agony, Father, is there another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He suffered betrayal, rejection of friends, suffered physical pain. He suffered agony of spiritual separation from the Father. He suffered death. He suffered the utter shame of being made sin when he had done no wrong. And he cries out to the Father, is there any other way? And so let's read that section of Scripture this morning with some of those thoughts in our mind and some of your own life experience being applied and sort of walking with Christ as we walk through these verses together this morning or read through them. Matthew twenty six thirty six to 46. Then Jesus came with them, that's with his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little, far, a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me for one hour? Keep praying, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Isn't that amazing? He goes away for an hour, and he comes back, and he's still praying the one same thing. He's in deep agony of soul. This one prayer, he's not praying for all the missionaries and everything around. He's praying about this one thing, and he prays for an hour, crying out to God. Here's a, here's a man deep in agony of what he's about to face. And sometimes in that sense, we're like that. We, we never know what to pray, and we pray the same thing over and over again. And I think it's okay, and I love it when I'm like that because, you see, the Lord Jesus was like that. In verse 44, and it says, He left him again, he went away, and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples, and he, said to them, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being portrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, and let's be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. The context here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion. Jesus previously had been, the disciples had previously been in the upper room where, with, uh, celebrating the, the Passover with his disciples. And we remember, or we know what the Passover was. They understood what the Passover was. And that was a remembrance time when Yahweh God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and brought them into the promised land. And he brought them out with a mighty hand. There were miracles and marvelous miracles that were resounded throughout all the world at the time about the mighty hand of God. And here, there, Yahweh God had brought them out. But it specifically, it was to remember the Passover 
feast that was to remember the sacrificial lamb where the lamb, a perfect lamb, was killed, the blood taken, and it was painted on the, doorpo- on the doorpost and across the top on the lintel. And when the angel of death that was sent from God came to pass over that land, every Israel home was saved because they'd been covered with the blood. Whereas the Egyptian households and their flocks, the firstborn, died. And here, all these hundreds of years, they've been keeping this Passover feast. And Jesus had kept the Passover feast with the disciples. But Jesus, they just completed that. And Jesus then introduced a new feast. It was the Lord's Supper that we've already been asked, uh, that we've been asked to keep and we've already kept this morning. The breaking of bread and the, the drinking of the cup. And Jesus in that feast, he had broken bread and he said, this is my body. And so it was symbolic of the body that was to be given for them. And he passed the cup of wine around and he said, this is symbolic of the blood that which is to be shed. And while the disciples might not have fully comprehended what Jesus was teaching them with the new remembrance feast, they would have remembered very clearly and would have understood and known what the, what the significance of the Passover feast. They would have understood the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. They would have understood the seriousness of the occasion. But perhaps they might not have understood the heaviness of heart and soul that Jesus was in at the time because they didn't really fully understand the meaning of the new feast that Jesus had introduced. And it was after that they went out to the Mount of Olives and there he tells them things. If we were to read in the previous verses of Matthew chapter 26, we would read there where Jesus quotes from Zechariah where he's saying the shepherd's going to be struck down and the sheep will scatter. We read that in verse 31 of the same chapter. Then he tells them how that he would rise from the dead in verse 32 and that even how Peter would deny him three times before the morning or the night was over. And then they go out into the garden of Gethsemane. See, that, that was the setting. That was the setting. Now, Jesus goes to pray. And you know, there's three, and we might get to four depending on the time, probably just three this morning. There's three truths that should lift our hearts that I want to draw out this morning. Three truths that will lift our hearts of encouragement for us to lift our hearts in worship to God, thankful that God said no to his son's prayer. Truths that will lift our hearts so that when we go through our trial, we know that Christ understands and he walks with us. Truths that will even help us understand when we don't get the answer we want from our prayer. So there's three truths that we can unfold and we're going to look at this morning. And here's the first one. If you're writing it down, Jesus has experienced our pain and agony. See, the interaction with the disciples had been very intense previous to this. Jesus had informed them of some very heavy truths and hard to understand truths. They saw his distress in verse 38, chapter 26 of Matthew. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Those words are easy to understand. They would have understood that, uh, what he was saying, but perhaps not understanding exactly why. It was grieved to the point of death. 
You see, many times before, even if they had understood that the Messiah, that he was going to die, excuse me, even if they understood that, well, if we go back, we would find that many times the Pharisees tried to capture Jesus, but he just escaped them. So why would they be afraid of them capturing Jesus? He just vanished from them. It's why, because his time wasn't up. But now his time was up. Now was the hour. It's different this time. And he was about to pray, or to pay, sorry, for the sin of the world. He was to make atonement for your sin and for mine, for all the sin of the world, Jesus. And of course his soul was heavy. He was about to face death and to face the Father's wrath on the sin of the world, and he was to take it all on himself. So he says to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Those aren't just idle words of exaggeration of truth. Jesus' grief of heart and soul was taking him to the point of death. Such was his agony. And I'm sure we've all experienced grief to differing levels, have we not? We can understand the grief of pain that makes us want to just say, I wish I could die. <laughs> You've been there? makes us curl up even at times in a fetal position and just wish the world would pass away and we don't want to be anymore and we could just vanish out of it. Many of us have probably been at that point. But you see, this is not Jesus' grief. His is different. His desire was not to die. It was the grief of soul that took him to the edge of death. And I'm not sure that we could experience such grief. And when we do reach such grief or grief that makes us just want to vanish and it's too much to understand, we do pray, don't we? Jesus did. He cried out to the Father. But we also turn to our friends, and Jesus did that as well. He took his friends with him into the garden. He reached out to his disciples and he says to them, stay here and keep watch with me. Watch, watch over me. Watch with me, please. But they were all too tired and they fell asleep and they didn't even fulfill Jesus' request to pray. He says, pray, watch and pray. They slept and didn't pray. They didn't help in his deepest trial and his deepest agony. Facing the greatest of battles, his friends were not really interested in anything but sleep, it would appear. Prayer was not on their agenda, even though Jesus had asked for prayer. They didn't pray with him or for him. Have you got friends like that? Are you a friend like that? I've been a friend like that. And I got friends like that. You ask them to pray, and people ask you to pray, and say, yeah, I'll pray for you. You see, Jesus returned from prayer twice, and look what he found in verse 40. He returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 43, when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. See, each time Jesus returned, he had to wake his disciples because they were sound asleep, and they, could not, and they, they slept through his betrayal. He didn't want them to sleep through his betrayal, so he wakes them up. And I think we need to just pause a little here and make some implication or application to us, for us as a church body. What can we learn from here? 
You know, we have friends under deep trial. We have friends in agony. Jesus took his friends to pray with him through the night. Ever done that? You ever got a prayer vigil together and prayed through the night as somebody's going through deep agony, a mum and a dad are losing a son, he's walking away from God, he's whatever, there's sickness, there's some deep agony of soul going on in a family. And as a church family got around and said, let's have a prayer vigil, let's pray all night, let's watch, watch and pray. Satan does his enticing work, attacking, and he's doing his evil upon each and every one of us and sometimes it's really intensified in trials and that's when the people really need prayer they need you to watch and pray it's so easy not even to bother to offer up a quick prayer and get on with life is it not? See, the Lord in his deepest hour of trial prays alone to the Father and three times he asks him Father is there another way rather than the cross is effectively what he's saying is there another way verse 39 he prays that father if it be possible let this cup be taken from me not as I will but as you will verse 42 he went a second time my father if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it your will be done then the third time he went away and he prayed the same thing See, when Jesus is praying to his Father, uh, asking repeatedly to let this cup of wrath pass from him, let this curse, let the sinner's death, let the agony and the shame and the ignominy of the cross pass from him, he's really asking, Father, God, is there another way? And the Father's silence effectively is allowed, no, there's no other way. And as we ponder God's answer to the Lord, we discover incredible blessings and eternal riches toward us because God said, no, there is no other way. And we need to ponder that so that we can appreciate our own trials when we cry out to God and he even says no to us because he does say no to us at times. We discover that the Lord has eternal reasons as to why. And surely those reasons are blessing upon blessings. As one writer puts it, a no from God does more for our good than a yes to all our dreams. Wow, that's heavy. Especially if you're in the midst of a trial yourself. A no from God does more for our good than a yes to all our dreams. And it's faith and trust in God that gets us to understand and appreciate and believe that. Listen, because Jesus has experienced our pain and agony, you see, we can go to him because while our friends might sleep, and while our friends don't seemingly understand because they've never walked in your exact trial, Jesus has. And we can go to him. That's an incredible blessing. The writer of the Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He's walked a path. He understands. And it's in that deep trial and agony that the Savior draws close because he's walking with you. 
And he understands intimately every agony of heart and soul that you're going through. And it's an incredible comfort for each of us. You see, when we go to our friends and even at times our elders, our pastors, you know, we're all human. We can tell when they're not really listening at times because you see your trial might be a Grand Canyon experience and they can't take it in because they haven't been there at times. And they stand back and they recoil and... Well, and you can tell when they're not listening because they go, they say, yeah, well, that's great. And then they pass on to another subject. I've heard that happen. They're not really listening. They just say, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know what? I'll pray for you. And they move on and somebody else takes their attention. They're not listening. Don't blame them. They haven't been to the trial. They haven't been through that. They don't understand, but Jesus does. The disciples, Jesus' own very disciples, slept. They don't understand. They hadn't been through that. Later on, they did, of course. So we take comfort from knowing that Jesus has been that way before. Effectively, when people don't listen or understand and they don't pray, they just do what Jesus' disciples did. But it's never too much for the Lord, and take comfort in that. He's always there and desires that we turn to him. He's the one who understands. He can sympathize in every moment of agony, agony, loneliness, and whatever it is that your soul's going through. He's our high priest who represents us before God. He knows our feeling, our hurt, our pain, our rejection, our sorrow, and our loneliness. He knows it all. And how does he know? Because he's walked that way on the way to the cross. His agony nearly took him to death, right to the rim, right to the edge of death. He understood his father's loud no, even though it was a silent no. It reverberates through history because we're a product and the blessing of the father's no. <laughs> There's no other way. The Lord understands what it says here in, um, in, in Hebrews also in verse 16 of chapter 4. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. That's what the Savior does. He's been that way so that we can come to the throne of grace and receive all the need and all the help and all, all the understanding and all the comfort that you and I ever need as we walk through our trial. We find it in the Savior. He understands in those times. And we can say, what a savior. And I'm sure your heart will with mine this morning say, I'm glad the father said no to the son's prayer. Because you and I are recipients of the blessing. He's walked that way, understands. And here's the second truth that we can understand. Jesus reveals, in going to the cross, he reveals the compassionate heart of God. Jesus reveals the compassionate heart of God. You see, the call of every Christian is that he conforms to the likeness of Christ. In fact, we read in Romans that all things work together for good to those that love him who are called according to his purpose. And so God works all things and orchestrates them so that we become conformed to his image. And his desire, Christ's desire, is that we be like him. God's desire is that we be like Jesus to know and, and character and nature. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27. is what Jesus says. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and 
anyone. No one knows the Father except the Son and, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you're a Christian this morning, the Lord's job, Christ's job is to reveal the Father to you. And that's all that Christ ever wants to do is to reveal the Father God to you and I. And so we know something of the Father. So here, at this hour of incredible need and agony, the Son is revealing the Father to those who believe. He's revealing, that's his role. There's nothing that Jesus did in life when he walked this earth that did not reveal the Father. Whether it's in the miracles he performed with grandeur and healed the dead and lepers and so on, or whether it's in the brokenness and agony that he is in the Garden of Gethsemane as before he goes to the cross, Jesus is still revealing the heart of the Father. And so when we see the love of the Son, it's the heart of the Father that he's revealing. See, when we see Jesus broken, crying out to the Father in agony and sweating drops of blood on his brow, he's going through that near-death experience, even in the agony of soul and his distress, we see the Father's heart toward us in love. Isn't that wonderful? He reveals the Father's heart to us. The Father said there's no other way because of his love for every person that comes to Christ in salvation and for sins forgiven. It's his love for the world. It's his love for the redeemed that Christ is revealing here. And we can marvel at the expanse of the Grand Canyon. But you know what? The love of God would fill and overflow the Grand Canyon, would it not? And sometimes, well, we stand back and we can marvel at the Grand Canyon and hardly take it in. We hardly skip a breath when we contemplate the love of God, and it shouldn't be like that. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he reminds the people as they endure trials and affliction, God is the Father of all mercy and compassion, and we know that because we see it in Christ. And we know that we see here that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, he's revealing God's Father or his Father's heart toward us in all things. And he's saying that when we enter trials, he says, I know what it's like, I understand, I know your pain and agony of heart. And while the Father says no to the cry of his Son, it's the greatest yes to our salvation and trials as he walks them with us. I'm so glad he said no, because it's a yes for you and me as we go through the trials. What a wonderful, loving heart the Father has toward us. The song that we sing, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his pleasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. You and I are sons this morning. I'm so glad the father said no to the heart-wrenching cry of the son in the garden of Gethsemane so long ago. Here's another reason why the father said no, and here it is. Jesus was the only one who could intercede for us. And we're going to need to hurry on this, but he's the only one that could intercede for us. You see, back in the Garden of Gethsemane, a war raged between God and man, but here was Adam and Eve in the garden, in that garden. 
Satan won that little battle. But it was huge because the effects of that reverberate throughout the earth today. You and I are born sinners as a result of that. Adam plunged the world into enmity with God. And ever since, man has been at enmity with God. And so now the Son of God, referred to in Corinthians as the second Adam or the last Adam, he enters the world scene and it's in another garden that there's this battle still raging. And the battle continues and it's for the souls of men as it was in the Garden of Eden. And it's between God and the Son and Satan. And in that garden, Jesus Christ to the Father, is there another way? And the answer is no. And why is it no? Because there's no other person that can fight this battle other than Christ. There's nothing that man can do to make himself right with God. There's only the perfect man, the Son, Christ Jesus, that can step in and mediate between us and God. There's no other way. Paul writes in Romans, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those in the flesh cannot please God. See, there's nothing that we can do to please God. Paul has the same message to the Ephesian believers, and he tells them it's impossible to be right with God and be saved through good works. We know that in Ephesians chapter 2. Good works don't make us right with God. There's nothing we can do. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. See, there's one man, one mediator. It had to be that Christ came and died and hung between heaven and earth. And it had to be that the Father said no to the Father, the Son's intense, agonizing prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the Father has to say, there's no other way. Because he's the only one. God cannot and will not accept any other sacrifice but a perfect sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice is his son. He's the only one that could satisfy the father and make atonement for your sin and for my sin. No wonder the father in his silence cries no. There's no other way. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. The father accepted the sacrifice of his son. He's our intercessor, our mediator. There's none other. Any person who thinks that they can be right with God through any other way than through Jesus Christ, they'll not make it with God. And God has made that very clear in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. It says this, For there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you're sitting here this morning, you think you can be right with God through your own goods, your own merit, because you're better than someone for whatever it is. If it's not through Jesus Christ, then you've got the wrong path. Jesus, or God clearly says here, there's no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved. See, the only way you put an end to the enmity between you and God or God and man was for the full price of sin to be paid. And Jesus did not go to the cross. So if he did not go to the cross, then there'd, there'd be no salvation for you and me because we couldn't make it. We could only ever experience the eternal wrath of God. 
That's all it was for us, but Jesus hung between heaven and earth and God's wrath poured out on him, on your account and on mine, so that you and I might go free. And we stand before God when we accept him as our saviour. Then we stand before him fully, how our sins fully atoned for, fully paid for, and he clothes us in his righteousness so that we're like the son. Isn't that good news? I'm so glad the father said no. I couldn't have done it. You couldn't have done it. And imagine as the Father's wrath poured out on the Son. If you can imagine all the sins of the world if, that, that you have done, all your past sins and your present sins, and from all the Christians of all time and even before the Old Testament, because he was the ultimate sacrifice, if we could stack up all those sins and put them in a heap, and God pours his wrath out on that. See, he did on Christ because, you see, he became sin for us. He was that stack of sin. He became all those things for us, but he was sinless. So God could raise him from the dead. He did it for you and me so that you might, I might go free. So I want to say this morning, have you confessed your sin to him? Have you laid hold of him and said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me? Have you, have you said, thank you, Father, that you said no? Thank you that Christ went to the cross on my account. Thank you that in him I can have my sins forgiven because there's no other way. No matter how hard I try, I can't be free of this sin, but you can take it from me. This is a wonderful message, a wonderful prayer. The Lord Jesus prays, and I'm so glad the Father says no. Jesus has experienced our pain and agony. We can go to him in the trials as we head toward the eternal glory that awaits us. Jesus reveals the compassionate heart of the Father. Was our second point? Do you love him? Have you experienced the compassionate heart of the Father, the love of the Father? Do you live in the light of that? Does his love and compassion throw through you even to others? See, Jesus is the only one who could intercede for us. Don't ever be proud enough to think that you can make yourself right with God. Christ is the only one that can do that. I'm so glad the Father said no, so that we can come to him and he can hear us and walk through us in our trials because he offered salvation and all of that as well. I'm so glad we're here today to experience and know that God says no to his son. When we pray to him in our agony and our trial, if God says no, there's incredible blessing even to come as a result of that. And we mightn't experience, but in eternal glory, it will be there. You and I are evidence of the eternal glory that came as a result of the cross. God works his eternal glory out through his answers to our prayers. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the opportunity this morning. May the Lord bless you.